Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, Sunday afternoon, and just made uh, finished the most important activity of the day. Had to go to my granddaughter's birthday party. That's Allah Hamashim Sinai, and um, I wanted to do. Um, eight feel a podcast. I'm hoping if time will permit, I'll try to do one today in the regular and one later on the week about Shavuos if I get into it. But since I had this thought in my mind, I wanted to share it with you now. We were talking before about the beginning of the Shemun Asrei. And yeah, the first paragraph and the second paragraph I tried to explain as I understood it. Um, many levels of understanding, but at least it's a basic level, so I understand it. And now I want to talk about Atah Kaddish, which is very interesting, uh, especially within its context. Remember, Shimon Esri is put together at a certain time and place. To get right to the chase, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, it's a very interesting <clears throat> little paragraph, because um, it's kind of mystical, but not. It's, it can be read at many levels. It's a very clever way of writing things, very wise way. You can understand in the plain terms, you can understand without too much work and a little bit uh, deeper. Uh, and as I understand it, Atar Kaddish, Shimcha Kaddish, to me, when I see that at this stage of my life, the words that jump out is the Shimcha Kaddish. What do you have to say that for? I say Atar Kaddish, what do you mean Shimcha Kaddish? What? Why is it in there? Is that just like a little throwaway? Or is that the Iker? Uh I'll tell you where I'm going with this. In Judaism, the whole idea of God having names is a very complicated matter. Um, the Rambam discusses in uh, Mernabuchim, I'll get to that in a moment, I hope. But um, it's not push at all. And in ancient times, the way it seems that they dealt with this point was to keep it from the masses. So you used to have the real Shem Hashem. But as you know, they only did in Yom Kippur at a certain time, and it's not in Beis Mikdash and so forth and so on. So the public, you know, uh, was seems to be careful not to say it. I need not remind you that this week is Shavuot, so therefore we're going to have the third, Ten Commandments, the third of which is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, the God of English. Why? I don't make a difference. Uh, I get the idea it's chutzpah to speak God's name. Why is it such a big deal? Really. And you know, if you go to Chazal's, it's the biggest sin. Whole cities were wiped out for this. Whole generations were destroyed. I'm saying, you know, you're looking at Gadato. It's like a tremendous sin. And, um, what's that? I mean, it's not like murder or something like that, but it seems to be regarded bigger than murder. Why? It seems to be that it's more than just, oh, you're not treating it with the proper respect. It's like a chutzpah You know, like Timur says, you're treating God like a friend. I don't think so. I think they 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 looked at it in the ancient world, particularly, and we're supposed to look at it now as well. Um, 
as you're touching on some gigantic Indian, maybe infinite, beyond your hasogas. And if you mess with it, it's like messing with the physics of the universe, which is strange. <laughs> now, nevertheless, we know from old sources, and uh, Talmud, for example, that the real Shem Hashem they, um, was restricted. And what does it say? That they um, used to be able to rely on the fact that the public will respect this. But Misharobo Apritzim Remember that? It's somewhere in Kedushin somewhere. And when they had an outbreak of Pritzim, then the proper name was given only to Tznuin. Right? Only it was restricted even more. Probably, again, you never know, but since we're talking about the, around the time of the late Second Temple and maybe post, immediately post-Second Temple, which would immediately be identical with the period when the Shemineser was put together. So, that's the generation of Mishra Pritzim. Again, it might be the Christians. It might be some other medium group. It would make very good sense to me it would be the Christians because they're always talking about Yashka being God. All of a sudden, he's talking about God and a lot more than people usually do. And once you get involved with the Trinity, then you say, which part is God? And they'll say, this one is Yod Kevavke. And I don't know what, you know, they coupled a lot of stuff over there. All of a sudden, you have a sprach, a language that's out there, people discussing in bars, in restaurants, on the street, in mikvah, things that usually are dwarm ha'omdim brumashalolam and should be confined to the base of Mesha, and even then only rarely. Right? So, Meshurabba Pritzim, Master Silat Snuim. Now, it might not be Christian, it might be Stamazite. It says in many places, I know you know this, now 40 years before the base of Mesha, things fell apart. In fact, this is the Shechina got the heck out of the base of Mesha. They moved from here to there to there to there, right? Remember that? In Rosh Hashanah or something. So you already see, you know, they didn't do Dine Nefajos. They stopped doing, I don't know, the, the Chashemish we said the other day at a certain point. It was really bad news. And you could see, in other words, all those statements are to indicate that there was a perceptible decline in the public morality. The Jewish public morality having as one of its components the non-pronunciation of God's name. Sense of awe. Maybe more than awe. And so it would be very good, Mr. in my mind, and if you're talking about the 70s and the 80s, around there when they put together Shemonastre, that after saying, okay, El Kano of Asenu, you got the Elvis down, and you have this other thing, which was controversial, as you said last time, the physical resurrection, you want to get down there, the idea, Atakush Veshimcha Kodesh. You're going to talk to God. Don't talk on familiar terms. Don't say, hey, you're okay, Vavke, or whatever. How's it going? This is what I need today. It is supposed to be a conversation with God. That is true. And it could be that certain people have an idea of speaking God in a kind of familiar tone. And that's a tricky business. You know, it could be like the Berditsch of a Rebbe, something like that. You know what I'm saying? You could, you could talk to God in a familiar tone. But it's got to be the Makam, a familiarity, Shamte, uh, you know, a Yira. And that's not so easy. And certainly for Hamunam, you want to say Atakosh Shimcha Kadosh. Don't say the name. Say so we say Burchat Hashem Elkin Melchem Say Hashem, or you know, uh, or Adnus or something like that. Don't say the real name. Because Atakosh Shimcha Kadosh. You see, you're emphasizing the Kedusha, the meaning the Kedusha in the sense of precious. Stay away from 
handling familiarly this this name. I'll tell you again, the purpose of Shemanesri is to fulfill is to facilitate prayer. Prayer means you're having a conversation. Conversation means you're talking to somebody. The way the Shemona Esre is structured, you're trying to have a two-way conversation, I-thou. It's atokadosh. You don't speak to God in a certain person, you speak to a second person. That already is interesting. Right? That already is interesting. Um, what's happening, or what could happen, is an over-familiarity. And uh, therefore, they're trying to get across to the worshiper, yes, you should speak to God eventually once a day, three times a day, and you should be in familiar terms. Right? You should. That's good. But watch out. Don't be over familiar terms. Not in in the sense that we say in English, familiarity breeds contempt. But rather, familiarity should breed familiarity, but also a respect. Uh, That's one level. Uh, and I think it fits in with the precept. I mean, it, uh, at least that's how I understand it. Now, on the other hand, so you talk to God, but don't say his name. On the other hand, there's deeper than this. Because when we see Atukot Shimcha Kadosh, you raise the question of what is God's name? And that's a philosophical matter, mystical matter. And I don't know if they had that in mind for Hamonam, what they put together from Anesri. But in mind, Opinion, they very cleverly wove together a simplistic, together with a non simplistic shot in the way they framed it, simply saying, The Rambam, if you're interested in this subject, in the Mornavuchim, uh, has a very famous uh, uh, passage, uh, the first part, chapter 61, the first part, when he talks about what we call the Shemus Hashem. It's a problem to say God is a name. But simply, if I understand this correctly, I can only say the way I understand it. I'm not a PhD in philosophy, but I understand a little bit. The problem, anytime you say God is a name, you're giving him an attribute, and God cannot have attributes because he created all of them. So God cannot be good because he created good. Once upon a time, there was no such thing as good. So he can't be subject to that because um, good didn't exist. God created it, so he's not subject. If you take this to his logical conclusion, you kill the whole philosophy. The Rambam sometimes is not afraid to do that. In other words, can you say something that's illogical? God can't be uh, uh, big and dumb at the same time. I don't know, something like that. You know, I don't know. You don't know. Logically, it makes no sense, but maybe it's true anyway. You know what I'm saying? You say, it's lo yitochen. Well, you and I say lo yitochen is based on human understandings of reason. But if God created reason, he's not subject to any of that kind of stuff. So it's hard for people to get into that, and that would not be a good way to be in the Shemones, right? Although, it kind of is. If you start thinking about the utter unknowledgeability of God, and then any word you come up with is not the right word. And if you sit there and contemplate that, before you say the Shemonestre, and you therefore obliterate all the phony ideas that are out there, welcome to the Hasidim Club, the Hasidim Mushanim Club. That's the meaning, Pashib Shat, that the Hasidim Mushanim spend an hour before they did Shemonestre. Right? The Hasidim, you know what I mean, the Hasidim Mushanim spend an hour. If you sat there, or stood there, and before you even open your mouth, you see, what exactly is God? It's not this, not that, not that. You start talking the way I did. 
we define God as that, which is and can't even say that. And no word works, no idea works, therefore it's unknowable. And yet at the same time, paradoxically, I'm supposed to talk to you. You see? Otherwise, what's the Shimon Esri for? I'm supposed to talk to you, but I don't know you. So to wrestle intelligently with that conundrum is remarkable uh, and can be a wonderful exercise, uh, all the other things that go along with that. And I could totally see a person, right? I, I could totally see a person um, losing himself or herself in uh, religious and philosophical speculation or contemplation, whatever the word is, certain type of his bonus may be, as like a very high madrego. And that's the meaning to the Chazinim Rishonim, as I understand it. Spend an hour before they start talking. Uh, doesn't mean, you know, they were learning or something like that. You're concentrating on Elokos in a serious way, in such a way that, you know, you deal with the paradoxes. I'm trying to chop something, but the chop that I don't chop, right? But that itself, that I don't chop, is also a creative idea. And you peel away all the layers and things like that. That's a, that's a high level, you understand? That's a person really striving for a, a sublime experience, which is what tefillah can be. In simple terms, <laughs> those words. You see? Now, um, the Ram therefore says that all the names of God except for Yudkei are not real names. They're attributes. So when we say God is good or powerful, what we of course mean is I identify God as doing something good. Notice what he does is something that seems to be good. But it's not really. It's a pa'ula, you know, that he does is one that we call good. If God sent me a million bucks tomorrow morning, I hope that would be a good thing, meaning I hope that that would be a good thing, and that would be called good. Um, that doesn't mean he's good. After all, he created everything. You can't even say, if you take it down to its fullest, and the Rambam does this, you can't say God exists because he created the concept of existence, which doesn't mean that God doesn't exist, but he doesn't exist in the way you ordinarily define existence. So ordinarily, people say, whoa, stop right there, this is getting too heavy, <laughs> you know? So you're not a chosad arishan. Because otherwise you would embrace what I'm saying, or the Rambam is saying, and go with it, and of course it's new, and you wrestle with it, and you'd be saying over there at the end, wow, you're beyond my Hasagas. That's what Atar Kaddush means. Kaddush is Mufresh, beyond, separate. It's a different realm. Atar Kaddush and Shimcha Kaddush, to try to give you a name. No, to try to say you, or he. To try to identify that which is everything is is beyond beyond. You see? So the idea of the Shem Hashem is kind of heavy. And the Rambam is very interesting in this chapter because he says only Yud Kevavke fits. I don't exactly understand what he means by that, but since that's called Shem Mufresh, so, and Shem Mufresh means uh, Mufresh from Mufresh is Peli, like it's a Plia. It's beyond, wow, it's unbelievable, you know, like it, it's astonishing. Think about that. Is it much astonishing? Do you say it and it like astonishes you? But it's supposed to. That's what he means. Um, everything else, as he says, Sharkol Shemus Murm Bashituf. Any other name besides UK Vokey is associated with another name. I could say somebody else is good. But you can't say UK Vokey. You can't say anything exists the way God exists. Yes, I can. I exist. You exist. Not that way. 
See? Not that way. Because I'm not Mechoyv Amitzias. My existence is, you know, what's the right word? Contingent. I could be here or I could not be here. You can imagine a world with me here. You can imagine a world with me not here. If you tell me, and this is all part of Atakosh, that you can imagine a world without God not being there, with God not being there, the way an atheist would claim, the Rambam would then say, the Hebrew language says that you don't understand what, what God means. Because by definition, God has to mean something that you couldn't imagine he didn't exist. And I'm serious. I think this is a problem for many people. Because um, theoretically, you could imagine God didn't exist. Right? I can. You can imagine it. You hear, you've heard of atheism. That's Ken's eye. If But I'm flawed. there's something flawed in what I'm saying. That's what Yud Kevav Ke means. That's the Atta Kodeshim Kodesh. You are the source of everything. You have to be. So I hope I'm not being confusing over here, but I'm just trying to show you that using these few words uh, evokes a whole very interesting and very intelligent, maybe intellectual, um, kind of mode of thought, which is necessary before you start talking <laughs> like a baby and saying, I want das, I want uh, forgiveness, I want health, I want money, all the other things that we're going to say soon in the other paragraphs. But before you do it, before you open your mouth, shut up for a second and say, you try to evoke, you know, uh, a heavenly picture. Even though I've always been bothered by this, because in my mind, it would be better if it says, that would already evoke this idea. As soon as you say, of course you evoke the, the image that we find in the Nevi'im, like Yeshayo and others, that God sits on a throne, surrounded by angels, who sing the praise, and so on and so forth. But God does not actually do that. Right? These are marshals. God does not sit on a throne. They don't share in heaven. Nor does God dwell in heaven. The opposite, is the idea God created heaven. He created these images that he shared with the prophets. He didn't give them a window. He didn't give them like a, a what's the right word? A photo for what's going on upstairs. He created the mind of the Navi, a certain image. But that doesn't mean the image corresponds to a even a metaphysical reality. Um, and this can lead to a person thinking God is metaphysical. And God is not metaphysical. That's the point of the Rambam. God created metaphysical. You can't say anything about it. So, if that's true, what am I talking about? Why am I dominating? Go work on it. That's the ultimate mystical paradox. That's, like I say, that's the Hasidim Roshonim. If you work through that, then you're filled in a very high madriga. Very high madriga. And you can totally hear that it would take him an hour to get ready for Shem Esri, an hour to say Shem Esri, and an hour to come down. Because you'd be up there, and it would take a time to come down, like the guys that went through the Pardis. I'm, I'm not being poetic over here, and I've never experienced it. I can't claim to be a mystic. But I think, let me put it this way, this is how I understand it. You understand? This is how I understand it. And it's not easy, and in a certain way, it's not exactly this way. In a certain way, that's what they went through the Pardis, trying to work through these kind of yarn. <laughs> and it was hard to, you know, but there's a task. So, 
to share this with Hamon Am, they crunch it to a few words. And it means that before you get down and grub and say, give me this, give me that, you know, there is a Zohar in, um, I forget where, it's very famous, often quoted, where it says that the Shekhin is complaining of Rosh Hashanah, that everybody, all the Jews are screaming kakalbi like dogs. Havli chai, havli mazoni. You know, I want this, I want that. Uh, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, you say, give me love, give me this. Especially if you're Ashkenaz, you throw in miyich, get miyamas, and all that. And the Shekhinah says, nobody does it lishma for the, for the Shekhinah. To, um, if I remember correctly, the, uh, to liberate the Shekhinah from his jail, from his prison. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty advanced madrego. You see? The Hasidic movement, when they started in the 1700s, you know, they were into this. To liberate the Shekhinah, you know, from its, from its Tsar. Um, to do that, you have to already think in a more exalted way. And the uh, notion of Atta Kodesh is, is like that. Maybe the Kedoshim B'chol Yom just to give you a sense of the sublime. Because, you know, uh, if the Kedoshim Rehalucha, then you're beyond even the Kedoshim. But I don't know. I don't know. I can see, in my mind, look, what do I, in my mind, it would be really cool if it just said Atta Kodesh B'Shem Kodesh. And you stand there, wow, in that awe. And then, you know, your mind of the difficulty of trying to cop what God means, and the Hashem Hashem, and you did the Yud in the Vav cave, which you're going to read in a second, not pronounced, when you say Baruch Hashem El Kadosh, and um, you'd be in a sublime state. Yeah? Certainly a sublime philosophical state, because you'd be trying to focus and cop on the idea that God is in Mechoyv HaMetzias, that the existence of God it's, as the Rambam puts it, but in a very babyish way, simplistic way, in the um, Yud Gimel uh, Ikrim, I guess. You know, if you read Dr. the Parachalik, at the end, he lays out in some form the, the Yud Gimel Ikrim. And um, you know, the way you have in the back of the sitter is not any good. But he basically says something along the following lines God has to be defined as that which, if nothing else existed, it could exist. But if it didn't exist, nothing else could exist. That doesn't quite do it justice, but at least. You know, you're on the road, you understand? You're on the road. And it, you knock out a lot of phonyism. And he even makes fun in that chapter about uh, people who sell shame, um, kameas and things like this with different shamos. And he says, it's all baloney. It's chosim, chosim, right? That's his language. Well, it's in Arabic. You know, that's what he translated. So you have not only the anti-Christian or anti-sectarian um, background, you also have the sublime philosophical background. And then you also have the mystical background, which is a different approach. As usual, it's the Ramban versus Ramban. The Ramban doesn't agree with this way of doing it. And I think many of you are familiar with the Ramban's um, approach to the whole Torah, which is in his Hakdam over there, in the beginning of uh, the Torah, the beginning of Brashis, where basically he says, that's a profoundly mystical notion, you find in many sources that the whole Torah is nothing but Shem Hashem. Atah Kodesh, Shimcha Kodesh, Shimcha Kodesh, all the letters of the Torah are Shem Hashem. They're just, you know, moved around in codes. It's a bracious, you could rearrange the, 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 the letters and the words, and every way you can arrange them is another Shem Hashem. And bracious bara, you know, you can do permutations with them. Notice it's a mathematician's paradise. You know, one of these guys, they like to play with the numbers. Uh, 
Because that's how the Ramban says the whole Torah is. And in that case, Shemcha Kadosh, that's the Torah. And I already, what you're really saying is like this. As I'm approaching God, and about to ask for and all the other stuff, uh, you go into sublime mode, not philosophically, but mystically. You know, the Torah is nothing but the Shem Hashem, but it's disguised in the form of a narrative. <laughs> the disguised form, the Nigla form, is Adam and Eve and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the Exodus from Egypt, the Ten Commandments, all the rest of it. But that's the the Nigla, the, the outer form. If you get beneath that outer form, and in other words, and the outer form is also true. But you dumbbells, you just work on the outer form. Really should go in the inner form and you play around with the letters, you turn them backwards, over, under, around, and through, and do all kind of uh, arithmetic, multiplication, whatever they do over there. And if you think I'm joking, just read the Ramban's intro um, to the Chumash. That's why, in his famous, um, what do you call it? That long sermon essay he has called Torah Hashem Tamimo, which I think was a sermon he gave when he came to Israel or something like that, his old age, which is a whole rant against the Rambam, among other things. He um, says, that's why if a Torah is missing letters, it's no good, because you're taking away one of the, the letters of Hashem's name. <laughs> you see? So in other words, he looks at this, and uh, I don't want to use the word magical, because that's a, a dumb word, but you know, in a theurgic uh, fashion, you know what I'm saying? It's a dynamic uh, uh, situation over there. And um, and that's after Kodeshim Kodesh. That's up close and personal. That's up close and personal. Um, your mom is Kedusha. Everything around me is Kedusha. My trick is to unpack it, decode it. And difference as I approach you in the Shemonesrei, help me to do that. That's a mystics kind of, um, of uh, approach. That's a different way of spending the hour before. You understand? That's a different chasinim Hashem. That's a different type of chasinim Hashem. You understand? And you, you're you're lost in thought for an hour, trying to you know get to this Torah beneath the Torah. Can I use that terminology? You know the 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 nister part. I remember Hirsch uses the expression the letter as a veiling symbol. I don't know why I remember that. Nineteen letters. Um, the letter as a veiling symbol. Notice as a symbol, because a letter is a symbol, which veils, which is like a veil over something. It's covering something deeper. See? Um, this is a Kedusha of, of a different sort. Uh, it uh, Along these lines, <clears throat> I ain't no Lubavitch or anything like this, but I remember seeing the Shari Yichud because I, I bought a copy a number of years ago. You know me. Because it has good Nakudas in it. Nice, um, Kahati like a Pierce Devon, it does, and it was like a separate volume. And you know, he develops there the idea, which is in Chaim Vital and all the others, that the whole world is nothing but the letters of God's name, uh, in its original primordial form. It's not even letters, it's just Elokos. Eventually, it forms into something called letters, and that's why the Hebrew language is not just a regular language. This is a profoundly Kabbalistic idea, but that's what Ramban's doing, also, you know. And eventually those letters get um, grossified, can I use that term, materialized into the world that, that, that we have around us. When you look at the world, you know, physics that we call it, metaphysics, all the rest of it, it's just the Hebrew letters of God's name. Um, 
And that's the meaning, according to the mystics, of a Sarma Mars Never Olam. Why does he say always, Vayermelahim or Vayermelahim this, Vayermelahim that? God doesn't talk in the sense that a human talks. Why do you use that? Of course, it's a mushal, but I mean, why use that particular verb? You know, why don't you say God willed or commanded? Why, you know, Vayitzavel Kimihi or why is it always, excuse me, why does it always say Vayomer Elkim? Nasa, Vayomer Elkim Nasam Kitzalmeu. It's always Omer, Omer, Omer. And the idea is the Amira denotes by humans the use of words and language. And so God used the words and language in his way. In other words, not words like I use and not letters that I use, but yeah, yeah. The letters, but a much higher Madriga. Not the Yod and the Bays and the Gimel and the Dal and all that that I see, but in some higher existence. You see? In a higher existence. And all those things, you know, therefore, um, all around you, if that's true, Atta Kadosh, Shemcha Kadosh, and you want to know something? The whole world is Kadosh then. Everything you see around you is Kadosh. And uh, that is an inspiring kind of way of approaching the, you know, God. Um, because otherwise, you say, like, I'm down here, you're up there. The gap between us is impossible. So I should go, no, 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 it's not. Actually, God's down here also, everywhere. And uh, everything you see is godly in a certain way. This old symptom business, you know, is godly. And uh, if I'm going to have a conversation Hashem, actually, uh, it's pretty good if I can feel myself able to rise above the, uh, you know, the material and the, and the worldly. Now, you don't have to go this way. You can simply see thou art holy and thy name is holy and, and the holy creatures, uh, you know, uh, praise you. That's what I mean when I say it very clever, very wise. You can phrase the terminology at a simple level, at a philosophical level, at a mystical level, and maybe at others. Uh, so you end up with, I think, the idea of the reaction against the priesthood. I do think that's what happened at that time. This, I think in general, the rise of alternative Judaisms and sects caused this like um, somewhat theological focus, but not in a very sharp and defined way because it's the Jewish religion, not the Christian religion. But the dominating of Shemana is supposed to be meant to be a spiritual experience, not just a rote. And at the level of spiritual experience, if you didn't have some paragraph like that, you simply said, oh, you're great and you can do Tchias Amesim and all the rest of it. And now give me my money. <laughs> I need Parnosa. I need health. Help my bubby. Get me a new car. And it will turn the whole thing into something grub. When you do Atakashi, that, that's your chance as a worshiper you know, to, to raise yourself or sharpen your focus and think beyond the regular. At least that's the way I understand it. Um, as I said, I just wanted to share these ideas. There are more, you know, meanings to Kaddish, but to me, these are the fundamental. There's the historical, there's the philosophical, and there's the mystical. And, you know, some people listening to this will be more persuaded by one or the other. That That's a sign of who you are. Nothing wrong with that. We're not all the same. That's a sign of who you are. Moreover, it's also a sign of where you're holding in life. person, what resonates to them when they're 20 and 30 is not identical necessarily was what will resonate when they're 30 and 40 and so forth. So I think it's good 
to consider these ideas, especially the week before Shavuos, because that's when you had, as I said before, the pronouncing the Ten Commandments. And then they, you know, overstand or crossing the boundaries. No, 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 it's, it's right down here. Right? You see, you know, the presence of God, uh, you know, on Harsina, which is a paradox. And uh, welcome to the world of paradox. The ultimate religious experience, you cannot escape, you know, its paradoxical nature. Not, not if you're serious about it. With that uh, kind of heavy thought, I bid you a good week. And I uh, also end by thanking Mishpacha Stepanski uh, for um, you know, backing these uh, Fila talks. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.